Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, January 21st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as Mississippians fill vaccination appointments throughout the state, we examine the health department's drive-through vaccine experience. Then, Mississippi's lone congressional Democrat shares his thoughts on the inauguration of the 46th president. Plus, in our book club, the Mississippi Historical Society's Best State History Book of the Year, steeped in the blood of racism. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians are rolling up their sleeves to get the coronavirus vaccine. Last week, state officials expanded vaccine eligibility to all residents 65 and over and residents 18 and over with underlying health conditions. The Department of Health is maintaining a number of drive through sites across the state. In Pearl, department employees and members of the Mississippi National Guard are working together to administer the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Lee Tucker, a 73-year-old resident of Brandon, tells our Kobe Vance, she has confidence in the vaccine. I came because I believe in the vaccination because we're very pro-vaccines. We do flu shots all the time too and we think this is the best route for us insofar as avoiding the horrible things that go along with COVID. Are you, I know there's some people that have said they're nervous about the, you know, the, the side effects of the vaccine. Did you have any thoughts about that? I really haven't. I trust that there have been so many people already that have had it and it's been tested so much. I feel like it's it's we're very safe with it. And so, you know, coming out today, uh, I wanted to ask, what was your experience like trying to get an appointment? Getting an appointment was a little bit of a, a, a push. And my daughter ended up, she's a dentist, she ended up getting it for us like at 1 o'clock one morning. <laughs> we got them two separate days. So, and I'm anxious about i am anxious about getting the second appointment i hopefully we won't have as much trouble scheduling the second dose the pfizer dose will you be telling your friends about uh, your experience today of course i will it's been wonderful easy and the shot was not bad uh, that it has been just precision insofar as i we can tell just really a good experience and now going into the next coming months do you think that you're going to be more confident being able to go out in public to be able to uh you know, hopefully at some point be able to resume life again. Hopefully. I'll still wear my mask. I'll still, I think that might be part of my life for a couple of years to come until everybody's vaccinated and this is put in the past in a manageable form. So anyway, we're, we're very pleased with the whole experience. 
With limited sites and overwhelming demand, some residents are driving 45 minutes or more in order to secure a vaccination. Linda Feibelman drove to Pearl from Vicksburg. I, I chose here because it was the first one available when I went on the website a couple, I guess it was a week ago. I'm retired, so um, it was the really the closest place uh, from Vicksburg because we don't have it in Vicksburg. You know, Vicksburg is a pretty big city. Is that frustrating them out? Do you have like an option uh, to get vaccinated in your town? Yes, a lot of the uh, residents are upset that Vicksburg doesn't have any, but my understanding is that it's considered, you know, a suburb almost of Jackson, so that's why it doesn't have any. But Natchez has them, which is 60, 60 minutes away. As you go through and got your vaccination today, uh, what was your what was it like? I mean, these people are so nice. It was very efficient. Just drove through. The The problem that they told me is that um, a lot of people are scheduling more than once, and um, so they're getting no-shows for the vaccine. So if I could encourage people is if you get an appointment and you have it to take it because there's so many people that want it. So what, what pushed you to want to get the vaccination? Uh, I'm just, I'm fearful of getting it and getting real sick. I, um, was real, real sick when I got the flu last year and I just did not want to, you know, take the chance of, of contracting the disease. Those getting shots at the site administered by the Health Department and National Guard uniformly say the vaccination process is efficient and organized. Carl Keenan of Pearl agrees the process was smooth. The 54-year-old says he's been getting vaccines all his life, so he didn't hesitate to schedule this one. Basically come out because we feel like it's the right thing to do. Been getting vaccines since 1966 as a kid. So why not get this? Like I said, I've seen some x-rays that show COVID's worse than anything, even smokers' lungs. So... We're excited to get it. We didn't even feel it. Man, it was great. Uh, I see no problem with everybody getting it. Coming in today, uh, what was your experience? Well, it was very easy. There was no line. There was nothing there. They ran us right through. They found our names. No, Like I said, we didn't even feel the shot. We played on Facebook for 15 minutes, and now we're headed to go get something to eat. Maybe a Bloody Mary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, when the, in the scheduling process, was it difficult to get an appointment? Well, from what I've seen, getting the second one seems to be the difficult thing. I mean, there's nothing available. I went on now, and I'm supposed to go 21 days out, but there's nothing. There's one for February 2nd, but that's not 21 days. So hopefully they get some more in, and we can get our second dose and uh, keep on rolling for everybody to get first and second. But right now, nothing available across the state for the second dose. Yeah, have they given you all any instruction on when you all should try to try to schedule that? No, they said just keep checking the website or call the number. And so I, I just checked, like I said, just a few minutes ago, and nothing available for February 20th. So, you know, uh, or actually February 10th is our date. And so, like I said, February 2nd they got one, but nothing past that. I mean, all across the state, unavailable. So hopefully they get some more in by Friday like they're claiming. Now, uh, going into the next coming weeks and months, do you think this is going to help you go out in public and feel a bit more confident that you're going to be okay? Well, I think it's going to help us around the family. I mean, I feel like if we get it in the family, at least we'll have a little protection of where my kids are medical students, and when they come home, we won't have to worry about catching as well. I mean, they're frontline workers almost, and they bring it right home to us, and we live with my grandmother. She's 87, so we don't want to get her sick and die. And so I think it's good for all of us just to at least have a, a maybe a, what do you call it, a bulletproof vest on you, just to keep the disease, the virus away from us, you know, and maybe help us 
get further down the road, they understand it. And I'm just curious, as a parent, what does it feel like to have your children on the front line trying to help uh, people during this crazy, awful pandemic? It's, it's crazy, like I said, because you just almost can't spend time with them. I can't hug them. When they, if they come home, I need to be away from them. I can't shake hands. I'm in another room from them. We're like on two separate sides of the house. I mean, it's just crazy. And, and so I fix their dinner, and I have to tell them to come get it. You know, I can't be there to eat with them. So, I mean, it's, I just have to keep my social distance in the house. And that's what's not fun because, you know, you love your family. Everybody wants to hug up on your family. I love my kids. I want to touch them. I want to look them in the eye. I want to I grab them. You know, they're my kids. So, it is dangerous. And so, we're just trying to take all the precautions. And, and we, I feel like I live with a mask. You know, I mean, everywhere I go, even at night when I go to bed, that's the last thing I take off with my robe. <laughs> While vaccination appointments have been filled into February, officials encourage qualifying residents to check the scheduling website to see if any COVID-19 vaccine appointments are available. Coming up, Mississippi's lone congressional Democrat shares his thoughts on the inauguration of the 46th president. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Following yesterday's inauguration and the swearing-in of three new senators, Democrats now occupy the White House and have majorities in the House and the Senate for the first time since 2008. Both President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris have served in Congress, and Mississippi's Benny Thompson believes the relationships both have with current lawmakers can help bring on the unity President Biden called for during his inaugural address. The Democrat representative tells our Desiree Frazier yesterday was historic, and he's looking forward to solving the pressing challenges with the new administration. Well, you know, in my lifetime, I saw Barack Obama uh, become the first African-American president and Kamala Harris, uh, the first African-American vice president. Uh, You know, we've come a long way uh, and I'm excited about it. And as uh, President Biden indicated in his speech, uh, we have to work at keeping uh, this country great uh, because of what happened uh, on January 6th is not who we are as Americans, and we're going to have to work hard at it. So I'm excited about Vice President Harris. I'm excited about uh, President Biden. Uh, they make a good team, and they both uh, who we are as a nation. As you mentioned, um, the January 6th riot uh, was something um, that has left a indelible impression on the nation. We're also dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. So this year's inauguration was very different from so many that you've attended in the past. Can you give us a sense of what, what it felt like? Well, uh you know, uh, I have had the good fortune of attending others, and this one, as you said, was like uh, none other. Uh, the social distancing, uh, the wearing of the face mask, uh, the fact that the public uh, was not really involved as we have come to know it in the inauguration, and in that uh, 
uh, attendance was very limited. But nonetheless, it's the spirit, it's who we are as a nation. Uh, we pick our leaders at the ballot box and go forward. And I think what I saw today was a commitment to go forward. So uh, in spite of the pandemic, uh, I'm looking for the Biden-Harris leadership uh, to get the vaccines uh, distributed in a more organized, coordinated fashion. I'm looking for the ability to, over time, get uh, a minimum number of people immunized so that uh, we can get this uh, coronavirus pandemic behind us. But it's going to take leadership, and that leadership, uh, I'm absolutely convinced, is there with the Biden-Harris team. Were you disappointed that President Donald Trump didn't attend the inauguration? Well, you know, as you know, this is the first time that a sitting president has refused to attend uh, uh, the inauguration of the incoming president. Uh, but I'm not surprised. It's Donald Trump. He's been that way uh, as president for the last four years. And so, however we view him, uh, history will be not be kind to the Trump legacy as president. And lastly, what do you think it's going to take to heal the nation? Well, the first thing it's going to take is a leader like Joe Biden, uh, who acknowledges that we've had some problems. Uh, but the only way we can solve those problems is talking to each other and not about each other. And as, as uh, President Biden said, uh, he is a healer, not a divider. Uh, unfortunately, uh, former President Trump was a divider and not a healer. So I'm excited about it. And just just one thing, um, have you been getting any death threats? Do you, is there any fear at this point of retaliation or more unrest around the Capitol? Well, you know, we had more security there uh, during this inauguration uh, than in history. We had over 25,000 National Guardsmen. We had uh, federal law enforcement and state and local law enforcement from all around the country. Uh, but it's unfortunate that the riot that occurred at Capitol Hill, the president stoked the flames of racism in this country. Uh, I didn't think I would ever see it. I saw it uh, from a, a personal standpoint. I think all of our members uh, have had to uh, become very cautious of their surroundings. Uh, they've gotten constant uh, threats over the phone. Uh, so uh, these are just the times that a Trump administration created, and that's why the Biden administration, I look forward to it calming things down and getting back to the values that as Americans uh, we've come to love and enjoy. Well, Congressman Benny Thompson, we appreciate you taking the time out of this momentous occasion to speak with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Some Republican Party leaders in the state are also seeing the need and desire for unity. Mississippi Republican strategist Henry Barber hoped Trump would be reelected, but he says the peaceful transition of power is an important part of America's fabric. It's a good time for all Americans to reflect on what a blessing it is to live in a free country. 
a, a country where we adhere to our constitution, including the peaceful transfer of power. And uh, it's great to see that happen today. And I think we're truly blessed as, as Americans. And, and I will say, I, I wish the best for President Biden and, and Vice President Harris for the common good of all Americans. That doesn't mean I will agree with all they propose, nor does it mean I won't work against policies I oppose. But I hope we can move forward as a country in a way that is civil and respectful. And so when we do disagree, that we can do it with respect. Were you disappointed President Donald Trump did not attend the inauguration? How do you feel about that? I, I was disappointed that, the, that President Trump didn't attend. I, I think there's a long history of that. And I think it shows right respect. I was disappointed that President Trump did not participate. I was glad that the vi- that Vice President Pence was there. Um, but I I think this is such an important transfer of power and tradition in our country. It's what makes us a great country, a free country. That all presidents, um, when they're going out, they they should participate. So I disagree with President Trump. Uh, not not showing up. President Biden inherits a number of significant challenges, among them high unemployment, the coronavirus pandemic, uh, limited vaccine distribution, climate change. How do you see the Republican Party working with him to deal with these important issues? Well, the uh, well, the interesting thing now is is that you know the Democrats have really total control of D.C. They've got the White House, they have the Senate, and they have the House. So, yeah, they have no excuses for not you know tackling uh, all the things that they discussed in their campaign. Um, Republicans should work with them uh, when we agree, and we should oppose them respectfully when we disagree. Well, Republican strategist Henry Barber, we appreciate your time in speaking with us and sharing your insights on the inauguration. Yes, ma'am. Thanks, Desiree. My pleasure. On Twitter, U.S. Senator Roger Wicker said he's committed to healing the divisions felt across the nation. Coming up in our book club, the Mississippi Historical Society's best state history book of the year, steeped in the blood of racism. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The 2021 legislative session has begun, and Governor Tate Reeves will deliver his annual State of the State Address from the Capitol Steps to a special joint session of the Mississippi Legislature. MPB News will provide live, gavel-to-gavel coverage of the event, along with the official Democratic response. Don't miss the 2021 State of the State Address, Tuesday, January 26th at 2.30 p.m. on MPB Television, Think Radio, and mpbonline.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Earlier this month, the Mississippi Historical Society announced it would award its annual Best State History book to an author who wrote about the violence on Jackson State University's campus at the hands of law enforcement officials in 1970. We revisit our conversation with Nancy K. Bristow about her book, Steeped in the Blood of Racism. 
There had been some unrest on the campus on the night of the 13th. White motors driving from downtown Jackson to the western suburbs traditionally simply abused the students at Jackson State College. They would yell racial epithets. They would speed through campus, realizing, of course, that this was a major thoroughfare that ran right through the middle of a college campus. And that had been the site of problems between motorists and students for several years running. On the night of May 13th, um, there's another incident of that sort, or we assume that's what started the unrest. And students took to the street and sort of, you know, were bothering cars, so they shut off the street. There was a little bit of additional problems, but in the midst of May 1970, this was a minor event. Once the street was closed that night, the unrest really dissipated. The police left eventually and had not entered the campus, and there were no further problems. So the morning of May 14th dawns with people hopeful that this will just be another day on campus. And in fact, things do go forward on campus as a normal day. The president actually asked that the city close Lynch Street through campus that night, worrying that there could be further problems. The city refused because it wanted commuters to be able to travel. And so again, there are some rocks thrown at cars. And again, the police shut down Lynch Street. Some students near Stewart Hall or perhaps some local youth drive a dump truck onto Lynch Street in front of Stewart Hall and light at a fire. And this brings a fire truck to campus. And that also brings the Mississippi Highway and Safety Patrol, as well as the Jackson Police to campus. They have no problems dousing the fire, and the fire truck leaves campus. The National Guard is on the edge of campus and is to take over. Rather than leaving the campus, the Highway Patrol and the Jackson Police march up Lynch Street through the middle of campus and stop in front of Alexander Hall, a women's dormitory. There is no reason for them to stop there. It is against their orders, which were that they were to leave the campus when the National Guard arrived. They turn and they face the students. They're heavily, heavily armed. And a bottle crashes on the pavement, and they open fire. The students may have been throwing racial epithets, but the police and the highway patrol were in no way endangered. The students were behind a chain-link fence. They had not been involved in the earlier unrest. They had simply been hanging out in front of the dormitory before law enforcement arrived. But when that bottle broke, they opened fire, and they fired for 28 seconds. How many students were there? The police will try to claim that there were hundreds Others suggest that it was something more like maybe 30 to 50 kids hanging out out front, you know, talking to the women inside the dormitory. Women had a curfew at 11.30, so male students would hang out outside and talk through the windows with their female friends that lived in the dorm. But they fire for 28 seconds, and they fire not only directly into the students who are separated from them only by a short distance, but also spray the building itself with shot and with bullets and just rake up and down the entire front of the west wing of the dormitory. How many students were killed? Two students, one a local high schooler, James Earl Green, and one a college student at Jackson State, Philip Gibbs. Twelve young people are injured by shot or bullets or by spraying glass. And it's possible that those numbers are inaccurate. Not every student may have chosen to seek medical aid. What did police and highway patrol say motivated them to open fire? Besides a glass bottle, why would they turn and fire into a dormitory? They will fabricate a story about a sniper. They will maintain that they had been fired upon. Others will suggest that they feared for their lives. There is no evidence that there was a sniper. This is a fabricated story. It's possible that some may have believed that they were in danger, But even if that were the case, 
It is counter to all protocol to simply open fire on innocent, unarmed people. In fact, there are other rules that one is to follow, and both the Highway Patrol and the police had rules in place that told them what they should do if there had been a sniper. But again, I cannot emphasize strongly enough, there was no sniper. They opened fire because these were white law enforcement officers, and these were African-American students. You have to look directly at the face of white supremacy and understand that these were lives that were simply undervalued. They knew that they could open fire, that there would not be repercussions. This was nothing other than a racial shooting. And it's important to note as well that many on campus even today believe that this was a planned shooting. In the weeks and months that follow, there will be several investigations, one by the city, one by the President's Commission on Campus Unrest. There will be two grand juries, and ultimately there will also be a civil suit. Through the the actual criminal justice system, the students will find no justice at all, none at all. They will never even receive an apology from the city or state of Mississippi. And you can add one more layer to that tragedy, which is that much of the nation simply forgets about what happened to the young people at Jackson State College. The book is called Steeped in the Blood of Racism, Black Power, Law and Order, and the 1970s Shootings at Jackson State College. We've been speaking with its author, Nancy K. Bristow. Thank you so much, Nancy. Thank you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.